When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for Tuesday Terror, here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Welcome to Jabberwocky Audio Theatre. This podcast is made possible by Francis Abbey, a listener like you who's backing us on Patreon. Thank you. Visit our website at jabberaudio.com slash support to learn more, or go to patreon.com slash teamjabberwocky. The following audio theater is rated ADG for general audiences. Jabberwocky Audio Theater presents Through a Glass, Darkly. Tonight's production, The Old Nurse's Story, by Elizabeth Gaskell. First published in 1852, part one of two. You know, my dears, that your mother was an orphan and an only child. And I dare say you have heard that your grandfather was a clergyman up in Westmoreland, where I come from. I was just a girl in the village school when one day your grandmother came in to ask the mistress if there was any scholar there who could do for a nursemaid. And mighty proud was I, I can tell ye, when the mistress called me up and spoke of me as being a good girl at my needle, and a steady, honest girl, and one whose parents were very respectable, though they might be poor. I thought I should like nothing better than to serve the pretty young lady who was blushing as deep as I was as she spoke of the coming baby and what I should have to do with it. However, I I see you don't care so much for this part of my story as for what you think is to come, so I'll tell you at once. I was engaged and settled at the parsonage before Miss Rosamond, that was the baby who is now your mother, was born. To be sure, I had little enough to do with her when she came, for she was never out of her mother's arms and slept by her all night long. And proud enough was I sometimes when Mrs. trusted her to me. There was never such a baby before or since, though you've all been fine enough in your turns, but for sweet, winning ways, you've none of you come up to your mother. She took after her mother, who was a real lady born, a Miss Furnival, a granddaughter of Lord Furnival's in Northumberland. I believe she had neither brother nor sister, and had been brought up in my lord's family till she married your grandfather, who was just a curate, son to a shopkeeper at Carlisle, but a clever, fine gentleman as ever was, and one who was a right-down hard worker in his parish, which was very wide and scattered all abroad the Westmoreland fells. When your mother, little Rosamond, was about four or five years old, both her parents died in a fortnight, one after the other of a strange illness. Ah, 
That was a sad time. My mistress had asked me on her deathbed never to leave Miss Rosamond, but if she had never spoken a word, I would have gone with the little child to the end of the world. The next thing, and before we had well stilled our sobs, the executors and guardians came to settle the affairs. They were my poor young mistress's own cousin, Lord Furnival, and Mr. Esthwaite, my master's brother, a shopkeeper in Manchester, not so well to do as he was afterwards, and with a large family rising about him. Well, I don't know if it were their settling or because of a letter my mistress wrote on her deathbed to her cousin, my lord, but somehow it was settled that Miss Rosamond and me were to go to Furnival Manor House in Northumberland, and my lord spoke as if it had been her mother's wish that she should live with his family, and as if he had no objections, for that one or two more or less could make no difference in so grand a household. So, though that was not the way in which I should have wished the coming of my bright and pretty pet to have been looked at, who was like a sunbeam in any family, be it never so grand, I was well pleased that all the folks in the dale should stare and admire when they heard I was going to be a young lady's maid at my Lord Furnival's at Furnival Manor. I was bidden by my lord to have Miss Rosamond's things ready by a certain day. He was a stern, proud man, as they say all the lords Furnival were, and he never spoke a word more than was necessary. Folk did say he had loved my young mistress, but that, because she knew his father would object, she would never listen to him, and married Mr. Esthwaite. But I don't know. He never married at any rate, but he never took much notice of Miss Rosamond, which I thought he might have done if he had cared for her dead mother. He sent his gentleman with us to the manor house, telling him to join him at Newcastle that same evening, so there was no great length of time for him to make us known to all the strangers before he too shook us off, and we were left two lonely young things, I was not yet eighteen, in the great old manor house. It seems like yesterday that we drove there. We had left our own dear parsonage very early and had both cried as if our hearts would break though we were travelling in my lord's carriage, which I thought so much of at once. And now it was long past noon on a September day and we stopped to change horses for the last time in a little smoky town all full of colliers and miners. Miss Rosamond had fallen asleep, but Mr. Henry told me to waken her, that she might see the park and the manor house as we drove up. I thought it rather a pity, but I did what he bade me, for fear he should complain of me to my lord. We had left all signs of a town or even a village, and were then inside the gates of a large wild park, not like the parks here in the south, but with rocks and the noise of running water and gnarled thorn trees and old oaks, all white and peeled with age. When we drove up to the great front entrance and went into the hall, I thought we would be lost. It was so large and vast and grand. There was a chandelier, all the bronze hung down from the middle of the ceiling, and I had never seen one before and looked at it all in amaze. Then, at one end of the hall, was a great fireplace, as large as the size of the houses in my country, with massy andirons and dogs to hold the wood, and by it were heavy, old-fashioned sofas. 
the opposite end of the hall to the left as you went in, on the western side, was an organ built into the wall so large that it filled up the best part of that end. Beyond it, on the same side, was a door, and opposite, on each side of the fireplace, were also doors leading to the east front. But those I never went through as long as I stayed in the house, so I can't tell you what lay behind. The afternoon was closing in, and the hall, which had no fire lighted in it, looked dark and gloomy. But we did not stay there a moment. The old servant who had opened the door for us bowed to Mr. Henry and took us through the door at the further side of the great organ and led us through several smaller halls and passages into the west drawing room, where he said that Miss Furnival was sitting. Poor little Miss Rosamond held very tight to me, as if she were scared and lost in that great place, and as for myself, I was not much better. The west drawing-room was very cheerful-looking, with a warm fire in it and plenty of good, comfortable furniture about. Miss Furnival was an old lady, not far from eighty, I should think, but I do not know. She was thin and tall and had a face as full of fine wrinkles as if they had been drawn all over her with a needle's point. Her eyes were very watchful, to make up, I suppose, for her being so deaf as to be obliged to use a trumpet. Sitting with her, working at the same great piece of tapestry, was Mrs. Stark, her maid and companion, and almost as old as she was. She had lived with Miss Furnival ever since they were both young, and now she seemed more like a friend than a servant. She looked so cold and grey and stony, as if she had never loved or cared for anyone, and I don't suppose she did care for anyone except her mistress, and, owing to the great deafness of the latter, Mrs. Stark treated her very much as if she were a child. <laughs> Mr. Henry gave some message from my lord, and then he bowed good-bye to us all, taking no notice of my sweet little Rosamond's outstretched hand and left us standing there, being looked at by the two old ladies through their spectacles. I was right glad when they rung for the old footman, who had shown us in at first, and told him to take us to our rooms. So we went out of that great drawing-room, and into another sitting-room, and out of that, and then up a great flight of stairs, and along a broad gallery, which was something like a library, having books all down one side, and windows and writing-tables all down the other till we came to our rooms, which I was not sorry to hear were just over the kitchens, for I began to think that I should be lost in that wilderness of a house. There was an old nursery that had been used for all the little lords and ladies long ago, with a pleasant fire burning in the grate, and the kettle boiling on the hob, and tea things spread out on the table. And out of that room was a night nursery, with a little crib for Miss Rosamond close to my bed. And old James called up Dorothy, his wife, to bid us welcome, and both he and she were so hospitable and kind that by and by Miss Rosamond and me felt quite at home, and by the time tea was over she was sitting on Dorothy's knee and chattering as fast as her little tongue could go. I soon found out that Dorothy was from Westmoreland, and that bound her and me together, as it were, for I would never wish to meet with kinder people than were old James and his wife. James had lived pretty nearly all his life in my lord's family, and thought there was no one so grand as they. 
he even looked down a little on his wife, because till he had married her, she had never lived in any but a farmer's household, but he was very fond of her, as well he might be. They had one servant unto them to do all the rough work. Agnes, they called her, and she and me and James and Dorothy, with Miss Furnival and Mrs. Stark, made up the family, always remembering my sweet little Rosamond. I used to wonder what they had done before she came. They thought so much of her now. Kitchen and drawing room, it was all the same. The hard, sad Miss Furnival and the cold Mrs. Stark looked pleased when she came fluttering in like a bird, playing and pranking hither and thither with a continual murmur and a pretty prattle of gladness. I am sure they were sorry many a time when she flitted away into the kitchen, though they were too proud to ask her to stay with them, and were a little surprised at her taste, though to be sure, as Mrs. Stark said, it was not to be wondered at, remembering what stock her father had come of. The great old rambling house was a famous place for little Miss Rosamond. She made expeditions all over it with me at her heels, all except the east wing, which was never opened, and whither we never thought of going. But in the western and northern part was many a pleasant room, full of things that were curiosities to us, though they might not have been to people who had seen more. The windows were darkened by the sweeping boughs of trees and the ivy which had overgrown them, but in the green gloom we could manage to see old china jars and carved ivory boxes and great heavy books and, above all, the old pictures. Once, I remember, my darling would have Dorothy go with us to tell us who they were, for they were all portraits of some of my lord's family, though Dorothy could not tell us the names of every one. We had gone through most of the rooms when we came to the old state drawing-room over the hall, and there was a picture of Miss Furnival, or, as she was called in those days, Miss Grace, for she was the younger sister. Such a beauty she must have been, but with such a set, proud look and such scorn looking out of her handsome eyes, and with her eyebrows just a little raised, as if she wondered how anyone could have the impertinence to look at her, and her lip curled at us as we stood there gazing. She had a dress on, the like of which I had never seen before, but it was all the fashion when she was young. A hat of some soft white stuff like beaver pulled a little over her brows and a beautiful plume of feathers sweeping round it on one side and her gown of blue satin was open in front to a quilted white stomacher. Well, to be sure, said I, when I had gazed my fill, flesh is the grass, they do say, but who would have thought that Miss Furnival had been such an out-and-out beauty to see her now? Yes, said Dorothy, Folks change sadly, but if what my master's father used to say was true, Miss Furnival, the elder sister, was handsomer than Miss Grace. Her picture is here somewhere, but if I show it to you, you must never let on even to James that you have seen it. Can the little lady hold a tongue, think you? asked she. I was not so sure, for she was such a little, sweet, bold, open-spoken child, so I set her to hide herself. And then I helped Dorothy to turn a great picture that leaned with its face toward the wall and was not hung up as the others were. To be sure, it 
beat Miss Grace for beauty, and I think for scornful pride, too, though in that matter it might be hard to choose. I could have looked at it for an hour, but Dorothy seemed half frightened at having shown it to me and hurried it back again and bade me run and find Miss Rosamond, for there were some ugly places about the house where she would like ill for the child to go. I was a brave high-spirited girl and thought little of what the old woman said, for I liked hide-and-seek as well as any child in the parish, so off I ran to find my little one. As winter drew on and the days grew shorter, I was sometimes almost certain that I heard a noise as if someone was playing on the great organ in the hall. I did not hear it every evening, but certainly I did hear it very often, usually when I was sitting with Miss Rosamond after I had put her to bed and keeping quite still and silent in the bedroom. Then I used to hear it booming and swelling in the distance. The first night when I went down to my supper, I asked Dorothy who had been playing music, and James said very shortly that I was a goak to take the wind sowing among the trees for music. But I saw Dorothy look at him very fearfully, and Bessie the kitchen maid said something beneath her breath and went quite white. I saw they did not like my question, so I held my peace till I was with Dorothy alone when I knew I could get a good deal out of her. So the next day I watched my time and I coaxed and asked her who it was that played the organ, for I knew that it was the organ and not the wind well enough for all I had kept silence before James. But Dorothy had had her lesson, I'll warrant, and never a word could I get from her. So then I tried Bessie, though I had always held my head rather above her, as I was evened to James and Dorothy, and she was little better than their servant. So she said I must never, never tell, and if I ever told, I was never to say she told me. But it was a very strange noise, and she had heard it many a time, but most of all on winter nights and before storms. And folks did say it was the old lord playing on the great organ in the hall, just as he used to do when he was alive. But who the old lord was, or why he played, and why he played on stormy winter evenings in particular, she either could not or would not tell me. Well, I told you I have a brave heart, and I thought it was rather pleasant to have that grand music rolling about the house. Let who be the player? For now it rose above the great gust of wind and wailed and triumphed just like a living creature. And then it fell to a softness most complete, only it was always music and tunes, so it was nonsense to call it the wind. I thought at first it might be Miss Furnival who played, unknown to Bessie. But one day, when I was in the hall by myself, I opened the organ and peeped all about it and around it, as I had done to the organ in Crossway Church once before. And I saw it was all broken and destroyed inside, though it looked so brave and fine. And then, though it was noonday, my flesh began to creep a little, and I shut it up, and I ran away pretty quickly to my own bright nursery. And I did not like hearing the music for some time after that, any more than James and Dorothy did. All this time Miss Rosamond was making herself more and more beloved. The old ladies liked her to dine with them at their early dinner. 
James stood behind Miss Furnival's chair, and I stood behind Miss Rosamond's, all in a state, and after dinner she would play about in a corner of the great drawing-room as still as any mouse, while Miss Furnival slept, and I had my dinner in the kitchen. But she was glad enough to come to me in the nursery afterward, for as she said, Miss Furnival was so sad, and Mrs. Stark so dull, but she and I were merry enough, and by and by I got not to care for that weird rolling music, which did no one harm, as we did not know where it came from. That winter was very cold. One Sunday afternoon, it must have been toward the end of November, I asked Dorothy to take charge of little Missy when she came out of the drawing-room, after Miss Furnival had had her nap, for it was too cold to take her with me to church, and yet I wanted to go. And Dorothy was glad enough to promise, and so fond of the child that all seemed well. And Bessie and I set off very briskly, though the sky hung heavy and black over the white earth, as if the night had never fully gone away. And the air, though still, was very biting and keen. "'We shall have a fall of snow,' said Bessie to me, and sure enough, while we were in church, it came down thick in great large flakes, so thick, it almost darkened the windows.' It had stopped snowing before we came out, but it lay soft, thick, and deep beneath our feet as we trapped home. Before we got to the hall, the moon rose, and I think it was lighter then, what with the moon and what with the white dazzling snow, than it had been when we went to church between two and three o'clock. I have not told you that Miss Furnival and Mrs. Stark never went to church. They used to read the prayers together in their quiet, gloomy way. They seemed to feel the Sunday very long without their tapestry work to be busy at. So when I went to Dorothy in the kitchen to fetch Miss Rosamond and to take her upstairs with me, I did not much wonder when the old woman told me that the ladies had kept the child with them, and that she had never come to the kitchen, as I had bidden her, when she was tired of behaving pretty in the drawing-room. So I took off my things and went to find her and bring her supper in the nursery. But when I went into the best drawing-room, there sat the two old ladies, very still and quiet, dropping out a word now and then. "'but looking as if nothing so bright and merry "'as Miss Rosamond had ever been near them. "'Still, I thought she might be hiding from me. "'It was one of her pretty ways, "'and that she had persuaded them to look "'as though they knew nothing about her, "'so I went softly peeping under this sofa "'and behind that chair, "'making believe I was certainly frightened "'at not finding her. "'What's the matter, Hester?' said Mrs. Stark sharply. I don't know if Miss Furnival had seen me, for as I told you, she was very deaf, and she sat quite still, idly staring into the fire with her hopeless face. I'm only looking for my little rosy posy, replied I, still thinking the child was there and near me, though I could not see her. Miss Rosamond is not here, said Mrs. Stark. She went away more than an hour ago to find Dorothy, and she too turned and went on looking into the fire. My heart sank at this, and I began to wish I'd never left my darling. I went back to Dorothy and told her. James was gone out for the day, but she and me and Bessie took lights and went up into the nursery first. And then we roamed over the great large house, calling and entreating Miss Rosamond to come out of her hiding place and not to frighten us to death in that way. But there was no answer, no sound. "'Oh,' said I at last, "'can she have got into the east wing and hidden there?' 
But Dorothy said that was not possible, for she herself had never been in there, and the doors were always locked, and my lord steward had the keys. She believed, at any rate, neither she nor James had ever seen them. So I said I would go back and see if, after all, she was not hidden in the drawing-room, unknown to the old ladies, and if I found her there, I said I would whip her well for the fright she had given me, but I never meant to do it. Well, I went back to the west drawing-room, and I told Mrs. Stark that we could not find her anywhere, and asked for leave to look all about the furniture there, for I thought now that she might have fallen asleep in some warm, hidden corner. But no, we looked! Miss Furnival got up and looked, trembling all over, and she was nowhere there. And we set off again, every one in the house, and looked in all the places we had searched before, but we could not find her. Miss Furnival shivered and shook so much that Mrs. Stark took her back into the warm drawing room, but not before they had made me promise to bring her to them when she was found. Well, a day. I began to think she would never be found when I bethought me to look into the grand front court, all covered with snow. I was upstairs when I looked out, but it was such clear moonlight, I could see quite plain two little footprints which might be traced from the hall door and round the corner of the east wing. I don't know how I got down, but I tugged open the great stiff hall door, and throwing the skirt of my gown over my head for a cloak, I ran out. I turned the east corner, and there a black shadow fell on the snow, but when I came again into the moonlight, there were the little footmarks going up, up to the fells. It was bitter cold, so cold that the air almost took the skin off my face as I ran. But I ran on, crying to think how my poor little darling must be perished and frightened. I was within sight of the holly trees when I saw a shepherd coming down the hill, bearing something in his arms wrapped in his maud. He shouted to me, he asked if I had lost a bairn, and when I could not speak for crying, he bore toward me, and I saw my wee bairnie lying still and white and stiff in his arms as if she had been dead. He told me he had been up in the fells to gather in his sheep before the deep cold of night came on, and that under the holly trees, black marks on the hillside where no other bush was for miles around. He had found my little lady stiff and cold in the terrible sleep which is frost begotten. Oh, the joy and the tears of having her in my arms once again, for I would not let him carry her, but took her, maud and all, into my own arms and held her near my own warm neck and heart and felt the life stealing slowly back into her little gentle limbs. But she was still insensible when we reached the hall, and I had no breath for speech. We went in by the kitchen door. Bring me the warming pan, said I, and I carried it upstairs and began undressing her by the nursery fire, which Bessie had kept up. I called my little lammy all the sweet and playful names I could think of, even while my eyes were blinded by tears, and at last, oh, at length, she opened her large blue eyes. Then I put her into her warm bed and sent Dorothy down to tell Miss Furnival that all was well and I made up my mind to sit by my darling's bedside all the live-long night. She fell away into a soft sleep as soon as her pretty head had touched the pillow, and I watched her till morning light when she wakened up, bright and clear, or so I thought at first. 
And my dears, so I think now. You've been listening to Through a Glass Darkly from Jabberwocky Audio Theater. Tonight's production, The Old Nurse's Story, written by Elizabeth Gaskell and performed by Carol McCaffrey. Part one of two. Produced by Jabberwocky Audio Theater in association with WERALP Radio Arlington, 96.7 FM, Arlington, Virginia. Recorded at Arlington Independent Media, with supplemental recording at Tohu Bohu Productions in Burke, Virginia. Post-production services provided by Tohu Bohu Productions, LLC. Edited, mixed, and mastered by William R. Coughlin. This recording is the property of Team Jabberwocky, LLC, and may not be rebroadcast, retransmitted, or redistributed without express permission from Team J. The underlying content, including the script, story, and characters, remain the exclusive property of their owners and are used with permission. For all the latest episodes and information on Jabberwocky Audio Theatre, visit jabberaudio.com. If you're enjoying Through a Glass Darkly and the other yarns we spin at Jabberwocky Audio Theatre, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash teamjabberwocky for exclusive content and to help us continue to bring you further tales of mysterious suspense and high adventure. Until next time, this is William R. Coughlin saying thanks for listening and tune in next week for the thrilling conclusion of The Old Nurse's Story. Thou slain the Jabberwock. You're listening to Tuesday Terrors on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow is our weekly anthology for science fiction and fantasy as Lothar Tuppen brings you Wednesday Wonders. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of amazing audio, or find the Wednesday Wonders feed in your favorite podcast player. And thank you for listening, everybody. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.